Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Naked Guru Experience. These are conversations of psychology, spirituality, entheogens, and consciousness. Today's guest is Tyler Ugaldi. Tyler is a speaker on non-duality, duality, and entheogens. He is also a professional integration coach. Welcome to the podcast, Tyler. Thank you, Ryan. So, Thank my friend, th- this has been a long time coming. Like, me and you have been, uh, like, in the background... Uh, exchanging some messages for over a year <laughs> and uh, we never quite got around to this. Uh, I just want to say just as we kick off that I really do love your work and, and your writing. I've been following you very closely over this past year, actually more than a year and just reading what you, you have to say and seeing a lot in your journey that's also happening in my journey and what I see happening in other people's journey around the world, particularly those that are using entheogens to accelerate the process let's say um Mm -hmm. and so just to to begin like what i wanted to start with is something me and you have in common i I believe as to the best of my knowledge is that we kind of got into this in some way we started it through a form of addiction or we, we there was addiction involved in it life was a bit messy in the beginning certainly that was the case for me and i wanted to know from from you a little bit about yourself and your history and uh how you started this journey or uh you know in the early days mm-hmm. okay so basically what jumped me into everything was the idea of death i guess i became fascinated with <clears throat> i guess it, it's, it began as trying to find a way to escape death maybe transcend but the topic of death is what started my whole search, my whole journey. Once you realize like what you have become has to end, then you realize we're given time here to kind of discover what that is that that's beyond that. And so when we utilize, you know, time is a construct, but when we utilize the moment we're given here, it's like we can see our true selves beyond the surface, beyond, beyond what's begun, beyond what can never end. And so that's kind of what started me. I was reading books and taking notes and trying to basically learn, learn God, whatever God is, you know, whatever God is to anyone. I wanted to study God. I wanted to know God. I wanted to, to just have an understanding deeper than a human level, deeper than the surface level. And so, in, in that, in the story of, of, of Tyler in that time, I, I had seen you posted some kind of pictures of you, uh, like a before and after kind of thing. And, uh, and the, your look was, you look different, you know, there was a, there was a physical yeah. transformation. There's a lot of difference there. And I, I just wonder, like, what was that process of transformation? What was happening before? I mean, was, was there any form of, of addiction or, or, or did I get that wrong there? I know for me, certainly, uh, this began with addiction. But um, I would say I struggled with addiction maybe in my younger teens. It wasn't for a long period. But, I mean, maybe for three to four months, I was kind of addicted to pills and stuff. Not, not heavy, but it was an addiction. And, you know, years later, I kind of had gotten that under control, but it was still such an unsettling feeling of, I don't know who I am. And it's the, the, the urge to want to know God so deeply within me that I was willing to, 
I guess, do whatever it takes. So I'm going to be open with you here. I guess I had overdosed one time um, and woke up in the hospital. Um, and after that, I, I think I, I still was feeling kind of in the same mindset. So I had started exploring the psychedelics and mushrooms. And when I had like somewhat heard from experiences that you experienced death in that trip, I had figured since I'm already, you know, to the point of being willing to trade my own life to know God, I figured what better place to go than the psychedelics because I can experience the death. I can discover what's beyond myself. So for me, it was very easy to go into the medicine and let it take me and show me whatever. There was no resistance at all because I was so desperate to know. I was so desperate to merge with, with what I called God. And, and, and at that time, did you recognize this as a search for God? It wasn't accidental. Did you actually purposely go out to, to discover this? I did. Like my, I, my obsession through my books, every topic, there was no topics of, of universe or anything. It was topics of God, of self, of beyond all. Yeah, all beyond the surface level. So, you know, now we've, we kind of get that, that baseline, you know, where, where you began. It's quite interesting for me that you started off in the pursuit of God, whereas I, I really stumbled across this. I, I never knew any of this was um, behind the veil. Um, it was a complete shock to me. And I guess it comes to people in different ways. Um, but, you know, I wanted to talk still about the, the early days, like some, some of the initial revelations before we jump into the, the, the deeper stuff. I know we're going to talk about non-duality and duality and whatnot. But in, in the early days, this seems to be a journey that unfolds for every human being. It's not exclusive. And it unfolds at different rates for every human being. And those, the, the unfoldment of it can be accelerated or can be particularly with psychedelics and whatnot. And uh, I just wanted to talk about the early days of unfolding, some of the early realizations that you had. Like prior to psychedelics or after? Well, let's go prior to psychedelics first. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. So basically, I, I had a platform on Facebook. I was doing some videos and kind of still trying to guide people to themselves but I had you know obviously hadn't done psychedelics so I was reading my books and I was trying to study and be as close to the topic of God as I could but what I had found after months of doing this is I can't fool these people into thinking I know something because I can't fool myself and so I realized I'm trying to fool myself into thinking I've realized something that I haven't by other people thinking I have something I don't so I it was it it builded up my frustration because you can't hide from yourself. You can't lie to yourself. So I just got tired of faking it essentially of talking, but not actually experiencing what I was saying. And that's kind of where the psychedelics took off with that. The, the experience of it. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. Like uh, it, the, the recognition of like, knowing you can regurgitate the information, but that's different from having direct experience of it, right? And I guess then Absolutely. the next logical question is your initial experience with um, psychedelics. What did that show you? What did that unfold in, in, the, uh, in the early 
uh, experimentation, the early revelation? Um, I actually had a breakthrough, I would say, my first time around on the medicine. And like I said, I think it was because I was so open, like I, there was no resistance. The only focus of my mind was God. And so from what I can speak on it, it's like there was a voice leading me into a tunnel, basically, and the tunnel never ended. There was a fixed point at the end, and the voice was guiding me just endlessly through this tunnel, and it kept asking me if I wanted to know God. And essentially, it asked me probably more than five times if I was sure, if I was 100% sure I was ready to meet God. And I kept saying yes and yes and yes, and finally, the voice vanished from me, and it left me to sit there for who knows how long because time doesn't exist there. And I basically had to realize I'm not meeting God. I am that I am like, I'm not supposed to, you can't meet what we call God as two, human and man. It's the emergence between man and God that you realize you, you, you're not meeting a person. You're not meeting something. This entity, this presence is yourself. And so once I realized it, it, it had a, such a, a different meaning to me, such a, a deep beautiful meaning one of one of uh another thing that we have in common in particular we are quite familiar with sri ramana mahashi and yeah. uh did you were you familiar with sri ramana mahashi before psychedelics or did you did you discover him after psychedelics honestly my ego wouldn't would not listen to them my ego it, it honestly I, I would hear people talk about <laughs> the topics of you know, forget everything else. Who are you? And my ego would naturally divert and be like, well, what's the big deal of who I am? Let me find out where I am first. And then I can start piecing together who. So my ego was always divert. And, you know, no, let's focus on the universe. Let's focus on God or this or that. Let's not focus on who I am just yet. You know. <laughs> so yeah, I've heard of them, but I, I would refuse to read their work, basically. Right. So it was, I guess, then the answer is it, would, it was after psychedelics, you came across Sri Ramana Mahashi, right? Yeah. And, uh, and so it, it, it's, it's funny, like for me along the journey, what I found is I thought I, re I, I kind of reached new levels of understanding that nobody had ever reached before. And then when I look back, I see there's so many people that have reached them before. And I think Sri Ramana Mahashi was one of those. And I do wonder how these guys did it without the use of entheogens, or at least the, what, what we know. And uh, I guess the path is direct for everybody, right? Every human being is, is on this journey back towards self that I am. But, but the, the psychedelic seems to accelerate this. Uh, I just wonder if you could speak to what do you think uh, is happening with these uh, entheogens? What have you come to understand them as? Um. Well, if we had to be honest, there's no words to put to it, right? But yeah. if we're going to try try to describe it, I would say we essentially are free diving into the mind and the mind has no shape. The mind can take any form, any shape, any place, anything, because it's like the Gnostic. Everything is the mind. So it's basically like free diving in the mind. So to me, it's like everyone's experience differs because the mind is infinite it can shape and form whatever it wants so there will be an endless amount of experiences and pattern shapes places entities you know all of these things but what i try to do with the the psychedelics is 
bring it all back to that connectedness of one. So like, don't get lost in the forms, the entities, the places, merge it into the awareness of one, the presence. Yeah. And I think, I think it might be interesting to touch on some of the differences between the entheogens. Um, I find there's some quite distinct differences between psilocybin mushrooms, between LSD, between DMT, and between um, 5-MeO-DMT. Uh, it, it seems like, uh, I mean, for you, do you, do you see the differences? In, I know you just said you'd reconcile them all into the experience of oneness, but do you see any difference and variation between each of these tools? Absolutely. Um, and I've never done anything but mushrooms and DMT once, but as far as the bufo, I've sat in on the bufo and I've witnessed it. So I can only go by what I've seen. And, you know, obviously the bufo is an instant direct boom. Like, so if I had to go from an outsider's view, I would say it's absolutely different. It's a different process. If you would, it's a different uh, approach to getting to the same place, essentially. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think, I mean, it's, it's a, I also have not done the before, so I haven't even seen it play outside. And, and there's a reason I decided, I, I actually decided not to, uh, at this point in time, I think it would be too opening, uh, for me, uh, have, having experience in, in other entheogens, but, uh, let's, let's kind of move into the idea of non-duality and duality then. Because and that is the topic of this discussion. And I do like that when we decided what we we're going to talk about today, you specifically said we'll talk about non-duality and we'll talk about duality. Most people would just say we're just going to talk about non-duality. And you made that distinction. And I think that's uh, quite an interesting distinction because it's a, a distinction that I would probably make also. <laughs> and so I wondered if you could just speak to what is it now that your understanding of either of those start with however it feels good to you to, to start. I give you some time to speak and go into it, what it mean, what they mean to you? Um, so I'll start with duality. Duality to me is basically, it's, it's precisely what has birthed into us. So I don't consider us to be human. I consider us to be a dual being. And that's what I would consider a human. A human exists through duality. The only, the only veil keeping the human from itself is duality. And you know what duality it is. It's the distinction between man and God, this and that. So I don't think it's like a human that's hiding from itself. It's we're hiding from ourselves through this dual filter. It's written in our brains and our eyes. It's in everything. You know, we have two sides and that's why there's, it's like there's two world systems for everything that we have, because it's like, if you don't know yourself, then you'll easily fall for the worldly systems that are putting your one brain against the other. There is no right or wrong. There is no this or that. So it's like all of our suffering, all of our identification, all of our vision is being seen and filtered through this dual lens. And so basically we have to acknowledge that before we even get into like non-duality, I would say. Acknowledge there's a two-sided system for everything, sun, moon, hot, cold, male, female, and look at why that is. And the voice that, 
especially look at the voice that dominantly separates these things. What inside of us absolutely for 100% fact knows that we are man and God is God. There's a voice in us that is creating these absolutes that we believe in and so we see through above and below. There is no above or below. They're one and the same. But it's like everything that we exist in as this human concept has to have a beginning and an end. The movies we watch, the songs we listen to, our days, everything is filtered through duality. And so it's easy to slip into that dual concept with everything around you, everything. And that's to me is what the human being is. The human is just a word we give ourselves, but we're really just a dualistic being, I would say, as a human. And that's how we so cleverly hide from ourselves is by getting lost in the duality. We dominantly see with the eyes and not the mind. And so if, if we were to move into the non-dual perspective, how, how, what is that to you? How would you attempt to define it, even though we cannot? Yeah, I was going to say, again, yeah. I'd start <laughs> off by saying no words for it. There are no words. But if you were to bring it to uh, some form of understanding, it's ultimately returning all these concepts of separation back to the awareness it began as. And when I say awareness, what I mean is before there is a separate self that is aware that it's aware there has to be the grounding wire of awareness. You have to be here to establish a separate self that becomes aware. It is aware. So awareness is always first. We have to be aware to become a name and then to become a person and then to become a thing or an object or whatever. We have, everything starts with awareness. So that's how I kind of look at non-duality is return everything like all the questions people have i get asked endless questions you know about life after death hell psychedelics and i like ramana mahashi's uh way of going about it you know don't ask me a question let's get straight to the source let's turn the question on the questioner who's asking the question because who is asking is what's creating the separation and you're identifying with the question and so it, there has to be an answer for that question. That's the duality. You create the question, you're also creating the answer. And that's why <laughs> everyone has a different answer. Ask everybody, what's the meaning of life? There's a different answer because it's a reflection of the dualistic mind. Question, answer. Yeah, I mean, the, like the whole, whole point, his whole point with self-inquiry, right? Yeah, absolutely. Turning it back into the self, inquire inside the self. I mean, what a what a profound being that guy was, um, mm -hmm. or that guy is. But that's what um, I, I, I I told my friend Sam. Like that's what makes all the the masters and the shri's and the gurus so special from India. Is these men, they had the psychedelic experience with no psychedelics at all. They can describe to you the exact presence in psychedelics without ever going into them. And that's really what intrigued me. Like it shows you this is possible. Like yes, psychedelics advance that realization and help assist it, but they're living proof. There doesn't have to be assistance. There doesn't have to be a use of medicine. Like 
And that's kind of what I love about them is the fact that, you know, you have the Terrence McKenna's and you have the Ramana Mahashis. You have the, the two that, you know, they're both beautiful in their own way. Or you kind of have the Ram Das that took the LSD to, to the Ramana Mahashis and gave it to them and, uh, and it didn't have any effect right. on them, right? So it's, <laughs> he, he, <laughs> he ate like 10 tabs with no, no effect. And, you know, I really love that, man. Like that really, I know what you mean. It inspires confidence in me as well. Because, you know, I wanted to talk about the movement from non-duality into duality and back again. Something with the, the psychedelics can do, uh, or obviously these guys can do that, psychedelics is, send you into the non-dual and back into the dual. And for, for me, it's been not being in, in the non-dual or in duality where I've done the learning. It's actually the movement from one to the other because I can then see contrast and difference. So it's in the movement from duality into non-duality, back again, movement, back again. And then in the movement, I start to see things start to become a little bit more clear what's going on. And so I wanted to ask you about what does it mean to know who we really are but still play within our role as, as human beings to still be both God and human. Mm. What does it mean to be both man and God? I guess what I'm getting at with the question is there's a, there's a lot of, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people in the spiritual community now, particularly in Bali. And there's a lot of people that spending a lot of time in God, like it's like pushing away the world. It's like this body is not real. Like who cares about mm -hmm. it? You know, it's like I'm enlightened now. So it doesn't matter. Like I, I am God and that's it. And so you're playing yet another game. It's another sophisticated egoic uh, oh. game of, you know, I, I am God. And so what does it mean to know that? but still come back to your humanity. Still know that your mother's going to die. Still know that you've got to do your nine to five job and or whatever it is like to, to be on, to play on both levels. What does that mean to you? And, and uh, do you think that's important? Should we go the Ram, Sri Ramana Mahashi way and just renounce and, and live that way? I kind of, as controversial as he was, I kind of like Osho's approach and it's not escaping the world but still being in that Buddha space. And it's, it's like learning to, to bridge where the medicine takes you and this reality. It's like, because we go there for that profoundness, that divinity. And it's like, if you can merge that presence with here and realize they're transparent, like the, the medicine doesn't take you to any place. It's showing you what's here and now but while we're here and now, we have the mind-body, as Buddha used the term mind-body. And so when we're attached to the mind-body, we move through it, and we always have a screen of consciousness, which means in psychedelics, there's just a void of endlessness. There's nothing to see. Whereas in the mind-body, we will always have a horizon, a point that the sky touches the sea. If you look out at the horizon, you'll see the ocean and the sky will merge at the vantage point. And it's like, that is our comfortability. That vantage point is keeping us from seeing that void. So we get lost in that screen of consciousness. We attach to the mind body. But it's like, in actuality, that void that's just beyond this screen is always here and now. It's just the screen is up. But it's like, we can achieve that presence. We can realize that presence here. And 
that's why I try to be so deeply grounded in knowing the self because it's like when you truly know, know the self and you begin to experience it, you know, like I said, not just saying it, but experiencing it. And it's, it's a process. It really is. But it's like, this isn't to say you're not going to cry. You're right. When your mom dies or when things happen, but it, it, it's, it's, if you like, if you have experienced your true potential, your true self, and you're that deeply rooted into it, then it's essentially like you, you can't be disturbed by the tides of what you call reality. You understand why these appearances outside of you are coming and going before you. Like a, a way I like to look at it as my mother is separate from me, but if she wasn't appearing outside of my body for me to hug her and love her, I wouldn't know who she was. She would not exist. So in order for me to experience her, the, the, her presence is needed, but her presence is also going to have to be taken someday. So it's like, let me find her presence in me. And if I can find her or find me, I can find her. If I know me, I know you. And it's like, if you can be so deeply rooted in that, then you, you can't be fooled when, when appearances come and go. You expect the appearance to change. You expect the world to change. Chaos can erupt, but you're grounded in the self. And so you know there is no – this is my belief. I won't say that. I'm sorry. I believe, personally, there is no free will. Free will is a concept, again, off of a human, the dualistic, the being. So free will is a concept created off of what we call an ego. So if the ego is illusory, why would a concept established off that illusion be any more real? So to me, it's like – Free will can be terrifying when you think there is none and you have no choice, but that also goes hand in hand with who do you think you are? Because it's only scary for you. It's terrifying. I'm not in control. If you're believing you are this body, you are this mind, you are this doer. But if you know you are the intelligence behind the sun, behind the moon, everything, that presence is your own, then it's like, there's nothing that can fool you. You are ready for the chaos. You're ready for the tides. You're ready. You know, it's funny because this was one of the kind of key questions that I wanted to cover. And it was the, the idea of free will. You know, when you look through the Advaita Vedanta school, um, it is saying, and, and, and the non-duality uh, teaches these days, there's no free will. And for me, it's been very difficult to square this. Uh, everything else I'm, I'm pretty clear on. This is it. Uh, this is God in communion with God. It's the self in communion with the self right now in this moment. But the idea of no free will, my issue I have with it, and maybe you could maybe help me with it, but it seems to me that, that, that God exists throughout all. So even the ego is as of God. It is a construct as of God. Everything, God must be everything or nothing at all. So if there's no separation. And so for me, I feel that the ego is a construct of God in order to experience itself. I feel there's a motive, a kind of deep loneliness and oneness that drives being to want to, uh, the one consciousness to want to experience itself through other. Because if you are one, it's lonely. It's a deep loneliness, which I think is in the, in the heart of every human being. And so I think and, and that's just from experience, you know, like a deep meditative experience. Um, 
with certain theogens. And so it seems to me that it, it separates off into you and I, wants to experience itself. Um, and, and within that domain, within duality, that is a product of God too. And within duality, there's choice. And there's the choice of good and evil. And for me, evil is evidence that there is free will. Because it's almost like if God sets things up in a way where there is no evil, it's all good. We have, we're back to non-duality again. We're back to pure love. You can only ever choose good. And so you negate all being. In order to be, we need the choice of both good and evil. You don't have the duality. We can't be within duality. There's no freedom of movement now. I just feel that duality, there is choice within it. And we can choose to rape or kill a, a child, or we, we, can, we can choose to the, the kind of bad way and it'll be our karma and it'll build up. Or we can choose like the right way in recognition of our brothers and sisters as divine, as, as God himself. You don't kill a child when you realize who it really is. It's yourself. And so I feel there's degrees of freedom there within, within duality. Do you, do, you, do you get me with that or is it a little bit too yeah, complicated? Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. I get it. Yeah. I think, think the loneliness that we experience, like when we're in medicines, we say that oneness is loneliness because I think we're, we're witnessing that oneness with the mind-body attached. When we go into psychedelics, the mind body isn't present, meaning it's not appearing, but it's still presently there. So it's like we're filtering that, that oneness through the mind body and we're saying it's very lonely. I'm alone. It's just me. It's all me. But then it has to go back to who are you? What is me? What's loneliness? What is aware that it's lonely? Only a separate entity, that self that's aware can be aware that it's lonely. And so I feel like when the mind body's attached and we attach ourselves to the emotions, to the, to the feeling, the mind, then I feel the mind does dirty it. The mind will paint the void to be this terrifying thing. The mind will paint oneness to be loneliness. The mind will paint dark pictures when you know, as I said, it kind of dirties it. It takes away from the actuality. If, if the ground of being is awareness, though, it, it does give some kind of story to the whole thing, that if the ground of being was pure awareness, that awareness manifests itself in multiplicity in order to experience itself. You know, it, it's, it would give a point to the whole process. Whereas... I feel like a lot of Advaita Vedanta, and this, look, I'm criticizing things here that are immaculate teachings. So I'm not saying I know any better and I can only talk from experience. Um, and, and, and this is just things that I ponder. Maybe it's the level that I'm at and I've not seen past it yet, but it seems that the story would be that if, if the ground of being was pure awareness, one awareness, then the, the requirement to, of multiplicity and duality uh, is to kind of solve that problem of, of oneness, albeit mm -hmm. temporarily. And can I bring up something? Yeah. Like the back to the free will and the creating. Um, I've made, you know, a post before, and I personally don't subscribe or believe in the teachings or beliefs that we're creating our realities. 
and that just to me goes back to free will. I don't think, I think it's who we become that wants to feel it's creating something so, so grand and magnificent, but it's like, we don't know what tomorrow brings or the next week. And that's what makes it so beautiful is we aren't directly in control. And this is, this is an example I give about us being in control. So we think like, as far as creating our reality, we want to live our best life or whatever. And, preserve the body so let's just say we go vegan for 15 years and this is our form of control we don't want to die so we're going to take control into our own hands and say i'm going to eat healthy and be a vegan to ensure i live longer so it's like the illusion of control by going vegan you're controlling your reality but then it's like you've been vegan for 15 years and you go to your work tomorrow and a car hits you and you're killed by a semi truck and you'll realize it had nothing to do with what you could control or what you could not like you were under the belief you were in full control of your destiny and something like that happens it, to, to me it's just simple things like that that prove there's still something beyond us and i don't look at it as good or bad i think again that duality is what we see through it has to either be good or bad we have to call it something but I think it is just the happening. It is the awareness happening. And that's, it's hard to ground yourself in the awareness where it's just that non-dual principle of, you know, no explanation, no anything. It's the experience. It's the one. Um, but I don't, I, I basically think like all our form of suffering comes from us convincing ourselves we can create our realities. Like, because it just dominantly puts us back into that mind body of this is what you are. If you're creating yourself or your reality through this mind body, then at death, when you, it's time for you to part ways, it's going to be a tragedy because it's like we've served this body and mind body as ourselves this whole lifetime. So at death, it's going to be very chaotic for us. We're no longer going to be able to create anything and creating is just a form of doing. So I, that's what I personally believe a lot of our suffering comes from is the doing. So basically, we have to be led into thinking we're creating ourselves. We're creating realities so persistently to the point that we're suffering, suffering so deeply that we're willing to admit to ourselves. Maybe I'm not creating this. Maybe there is something else. Maybe there's something beyond me. It's like we have to suffer so much by trying it our way. And that's why like uh, Muji, he talks about you've tried it the mind's way. Now try it the heart's way, the effortless way. Cause it's so, it's so simple. Like, and that's why a lot of meditations lead you back to the breath, connecting the body, the mind body to the breath because they're one and the same. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, but just on the point of, you know, this idea of, of no free will, does that mean then you believe that it's, it's, it's just fate. It's pure fate. I do. I think everything's happened already. And because I, I don't, I don't think I, I don't believe in time. I don't think in, there's a sequential order. There is no beginning or end. I don't believe in that. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I take it back to if, if the grounds of who you are has been established off an illusion, then you, everything that you know to be true is an illusion off of that one byproduct. Everything else is a byproduct off of that one illusion. 
and it's kind of like a math problem. If your your base is wrong, the entire equation's wrong. So it's like if we're starting off our foundation with this is who I am and everything after that is built off of that, then it's like it's all illusion, an, an illusion. But if the foundation is that I am God, I am awareness, I am playing a character, then the foundation is still correct. And, and in, in, within the play of the character, is there, is there then choice? It seems to me this degrees of freedom that we uh, have in duality. I could choose to uh, drink water right now. I could choose to um, go out and kill somebody. I call that the illusion of, of free will. It's the illusion of choice. Like, because again, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be, there would be no point if we didn't have the illusion of choice. But I, I feel everything is, is determined, is happened. There is no time. Like basically the same way when we're in psychedelics, we're just a pair of eyes. Mm. We don't control where, where, where we go. We don't control where we walk. We don't control when we sleep, what we do. And that's what I feel the psychedelics is showing us here is we have ultimately zero control. And that's kind of what makes it so hard to accept in that space is the choice is not yours. There is no choice. There is nothing that is yours. There, it's gone. It's all gone. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can certainly see it from, like for me, it's divided into two perspectives. It's, it's, for me, I, I can see it from a non-dual perspective. It's like holding both through at the same time. Like there is free will and there's not. Um, it, 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 I, I feel that from the point of non-duality, there is no free will. But within the dream of, of duality, I think there is free will. A bit like, uh, I don't think there's somebody like playing a computer game and we are the, the, the pawns in that game. I feel that the whole point is God wants to play a role and there are certain restrictions and, and parameters to that role. One can't fly. It's, uh, you know, if God is omnipotent, omniscient and omnipresent, what does he lack is limitation. And to be a human being, kind of a Jewish principle, to be a human being gives God the opportunity of limitation. It's something that God never experiences. But within that limitation, there are certain degrees of freedom. I can't fly right now. I can't. Uh, but I mean, God could within the imagination, within the mind of God, within the non-dual, everything is possible. Every possible combination of everything. And it all, it's all happening now. Mm -hmm. And I feel as we move out of the non-dual into duality, there are certain degrees of, of, of freedom. But I can, I can see your point, And it's the point of Advaita Vedanta. It's also what Jim talks about. Sorry? I was going to say, if, we were, if I was going to be honest, I would even say duality itself doesn't exist. Duality is the byproduct of non-duality, just as consciousness is the byproduct of, of awareness, meaning it comes after. So duality comes after. Non-duality is first. Awareness is first. And to me, it's like that's why we still don't understand our own consciousness, because consciousness doesn't exist. We're awareness. We've made up this word consciousness and we're studying it as ourselves, but it's come from ourselves. We've made it up. We've, we've painted definitions and words that we're identifying as, and that's why we don't understand ourselves, because we're looking for them through the words, through the, the subject, or through the object and not the subject. Yeah, I mean, what, what is your differentiation there between awareness and, and consciousness? So, for the way I see it is consciousness is something that is self-aware, meaning 
it's aware that it's aware. So that's why I kind of say awareness is what has birthed consciousness. Consciousness is what allows us to establish an identity is, I guess, how I would look at it. And I would, I guess, consider that the ego, like something along the way, we become someone, we become something, and we start memorizing our experiences and attaching all these memories to this body, this self. And it's like, the more you do that over time, the more dominantly you begin to serve this mind-body as yourself and see through it. And same with duality, see through duality and believe in duality and think that it's, it's concrete. But from my opinion, my, my perception, duality is the illusion. Yeah. Yeah, I think agree with you to some extent that it's it's a game that's being played and it is all a theater and each is playing a role and that role is defined by what identity who we think we are which is based in language rooted in language um all thought is rooted in language you eliminate language and thought you're back to essence mm -hmm. um and, and and yet we have to talk in language about these things that's the the irony right it's like what and we're that, trying to discuss here can't be put into a limited structure of language because what we're pointing to is beyond words. Yeah. My, my opinion on words is they only serve the self for communicating with self. Like we're, we're, words were for us to be able to communicate with one another as the self, as the one self. And I do think love is the answer. So that's why we're all here to separate and experience and become whatever, because, you know, it's the experience. It's love is the answer. So, uh. you know, like for me, I started to see a lot of similarities between the word consciousness, love, God, awareness. For me, they all just kind of become the same thing after, at the end. <laughs> love, love and awareness are the same thing. Oh, yeah. Back to that. That's right. I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought. So it's like, the words we use are, are good for communication. They're good for serving us to speak to one another. But from my opinion, what the human being does is it create in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Right. And the yeah. word was God. Yeah. So it's like, we need to go back and be honest with ourselves. We, as, as babies, we have heard other people around us teaching us to speak. But who spoke the first word into existence? You did. Who spoke these words into being? We can be taught them through outside fluent influences, but we spoke that initial word. And my point in that is, is these words become objects like the world. The word world has become an object. And it's the outside world that we see. When we step outside our door, we're seeing the word world. And that's my belief. I believe the words that we use are containers. They're empty. But yeah. as human beings, we don't experience that emptiness. We're seeing the words as the objects, as the definitions. And yeah. that's why, this is why there's a flat earth, a round earth, a triangle earth, because <laughs> you're seeing the word which exists in your mind. It's all reflection of the mind. Yeah, We're painting definition into these words and we're creating absolutes through these words. And then we go so far as to identify with these words when they're all empty. All from my, my, my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. 
I, I, that's, that's why I do think like reality, this reality we experience is rooted in, in language and uh, language is the creation of, of all thoughts. And to see beyond language is to see into some form of truth, if I can best describe it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what I found interesting is you have a YouTube channel and uh, you, your last entry into your YouTube channel was kind of very on point to, to what we're discussing here. You, you said that I'm going to leave you my greatest teaching. And it was just, I think it was like 45 minutes of silence, right? Yeah. <laughs> I love that, man. Like, I love that you did that. <laughs> I thought that was very cool. And, uh, uh. <laughs> and uh, I, I got it after about seven minutes or something. I was like, yeah, I'm not going not gonna to say anything here. I don't know how long the longest person <laughs> listened. <laughs> but, um, but I mean... <laughs> We could get a lot more achieved just by sitting, looking at each other, I think, in this, <laughs> in this conversation. It's, it's, silence is, is the answer. And yet, I feel that when we discover the illusion of who we thought we were and the illusion of what we think we're doing and what this is, there's not much left to do but talk about it. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, what are you doing now? Are you planning to start the YouTube channel up again? Are you talking publicly? Are you working with people? And what does that involve? Um, I've actually stepped away from my whole YouTube. I'm probably not going to do any more YouTube videos. I've been doing more. I'm going to try and probably get more into integration with the medicine and be more hands-on with that stuff. Um, and maybe speak to people who, you know, I get messages all the time, you know, speak to the few people who reach out, but, I just don't want it to be turned into something where it's like, you know, an ego drive. You know, I want to keep it pure, keep it right. And I just, uh, yeah, I just want to make sure it's always for the right reason. Always keep it in myself, you know, in in balance, in check. So I, I think I know when I need to step away. I know, you know, so I, I, my goal, though, eventually is to public speak. That is the ultimate goal. You know, it's a, it's a great point that you made that you just made, and it's it's a, just a, a sign of your humility as well. Along this journey, we can get kind of trapped in at different stages. I I have over the, these years, at points thought I was so enlightened that nobody knew what I knew. Like I've been to places that nobody ever been to, you know, and I was it. I yeah. I knew, and I was prancing around like I was uh, enlightened only to be kind of slapped in the face and realize there's so much depth to this that I don't know fully. Yes, and, uh, and so uh, have you been through that in your process, like times where the ego has, has got hold of you and. Oh yeah. I mean, I still check, I still have to check myself, you know, sometimes, or, you know, maybe six months ago, I was every status that I would write for myself. Cause I don't know if you've seen my page, but I do a lot of quotes from other people. So every once in a while I'll put out a decent sized status from myself and what was happening was is I was getting a few people that would copy my status erase my name and post it basically and so I'm not gonna lie that fueled my ego and so after that I started quoting myself I'm gonna keep putting my name and put you know so I was like you know but yeah it's like things like that I had to step away and be like who is this person you're quoting? The whole message is it's an illusion. Like we're all one. So why do I need to claim this quote as my own? And then I could admit to myself, my ego wants this to be attached to my name. That's me, <laughs> right? Well, 
No, it's, it's all of us. It's the message. And so I realized as long as this message is being spread, it's universal. This message isn't mine. It's not yours. This is all of ours. It's, it's, it's us to share each other an experience. And it's like things like that. Like I just love having those realizations to be able to humble myself again and just kind of collect myself because I like to keep it pure. You know, I don't like to do things for wrong reason. That's beautiful, man. It's, um, I wanted to ask you as well, like you know, my experience of, of writing is quite new this year and I'm not really a, a writer, but the feedback from the writing is, has been uh, quite profound, quite similar. Now, usually before I write something, I actually ask it to write it for me. Like I have this thing where I just like, I can't fucking write it. Not this person can't write it here. Like <laughs> if it came out, it would, it would sound pretentious. But if I ask this thing, this, this deeper self to write it, it writes it. And, uh, and it's usually those posts where I can see those posts that have got a lot of me in them and those posts that have not got a lot of me in them. And uh, some that are going towards the arrogant or the combative or the kind of uh, se- rooted in separation and those that are rooted in love and oneness and, uh, and not, not the ego, not trying to be something. And I wanted to know with you when you write, do you have that experience or is the two people there? Is there the one and Tyler? I'm not going <laughs> to. That's a good question. I like that. Um, you're the first person ever asked me that. I really like that question. Um, the, you know, my first year, I would say, after my psychedelic experiences, when I no longer had done them, because I haven't done psychedelics for a good two years, maybe, like breakthrough dose, I mean, you know? Yeah. My first year after that, um, I did use that method. I used that technique of, you know, let me leave Tyler behind here and write <laughs> this from the, the vantage point that was in the medicine, right? And over time, I think I've been able, and again, I'm not perfect. I'm still practicing this, you know, but I think over time, I've been able to better merge that presence with my own presence. And again, what I call me doesn't actually exist. Me is the presence itself. So I I try to merge that. Again, psychedelics doesn't take you to a place from my experience, from my opinion. So I try to merge that non-place with this place, merge them into one merge that presence that I'm not identifying as myself with what I call myself, merge it all into one. And it's kind of like what the, the teachers of India did, you know, they didn't need psychedelics because from what I see, they were willing to just do what nobody else has done. And that's not do, you know, us as Americans, you know, we're consumers, we're bought and sold every day by, by meaningless materials. So all we're wired to do really is do and do and do from birth till death. It's, it's instilled in us. So that's why I think we suffer so much. We could not dare to go an hour without doing something. We have to do something. It doesn't matter what it is. And that's kind of where I think addiction can come play in too, is we want to numb that having to do. We want to be absent from that doing. And since we're saying, I am this doer, you suffer through that doer. You want to escape that doer. And when you can get into the drug space, you're separate from that doer. You're no longer that doer. And it's kind of like, if you realize, you know, some people use sleep as a drug too. You're, you're, you're escaping what you call yourself to go into the sleep, which is a presence. And it's like, if you only knew that that presence that you're escaping to is yourself, 
you wouldn't need to escape anything, but we're identifying as what's doing versus the present. And it, it's hard. Again, it's hard to say that. Like, what does not doing anything look like? You know, it's hard to say these things and have the mind not create like, okay, so I'm just going to sit in my room and, and for the rest of my life and never do. <laughs> it's not It's not like a literal thing, but it's no. meaning you don't identify the, yourself as what is doing in the mind, remaining grounded in that. Yeah. If that makes sense. Absolutely. No, 100%. It's... Uh... You know, I also wanted to ask, part, partly for me, this process has been, uh, I had to kind of clean out the body. So I had to give up alcohol, I had to give up smoking, I had to give up sugar, I had to give up pornography, I had to give up like a lot of shit. And it's some of those things I held on to pretty, like longer than I probably should have. Uh, and I, I, for you, has, has, has that been a part of your journey? Like, I mean, these things, I love them. I love cake, dude. Like, and I know I had a cake for a long time, but it's, uh, it seemed that for some reason, my karma is that it's conducive to what, what I'm doing. Have you had this experience or not? Um, yeah, I would say I have. Can you say that again, what you said, the last part? So, so for me, it, uh, I had to kind of give up a lot of stuff that I used to enjoy. I used to be a smoker, I, right. okay. marijuana I had to give up. I had to give up drinking, had to give up mm -hmm. like pornography, like these things I knew just that we all know in some way ain't doing as much good. You know, like, and, and through that process, I found more clarity. Life was a bit more boring, but there's been more clarity. And I just wanted to know for you, did, in, in your process of evolution, has, has there been any of that? Or do you continue to party or? No. Um, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Every once in a while, I'll smoke some marijuana or something. But yeah. uh, uh, over the years, I have. I would say drastically decreased my alcohol. I used to be an alcoholic, I would say. Um, so yeah, I've experienced a lot of those dependencies, a lot of those things. And uh, the only thing I really do now is the, the marijuana. Um, once in a while, I may dip into it. But yeah, like you said, I try to remain rooted in that, that being and not having to do these things. And it's funny that you brought that up because like the pornography, the weed, the substances, the drugs, you know, alcohol, it also goes hand in hand with what spirituality is becoming, in my opinion, like meditation, chakra work, um, cleansings. I mean, all these things are essentially a form of doing. And when you're transparent with yourself, you'll realize if I'm doing meditation or I'm doing, you know, something like smoking or drinking, you're still doing. You're the doer. <laughs> and so it's like you smoke your cigarette as the doer it gives you that temporary joy. You watch pornography as the doer, it gives you that temporary joy. And this is where we become in a perpetual state of doing. We have to be on, you know, we get our fulfillment from that doing and then we get off the wheel. And then when we need that fulfillment again, we get back on the wheel and keep doing until the fulfillment leaves us. And we're just in a cycle of constantly doing. There's never that breakthrough where we kind of break through and realize we're suffering through this doing this doer this this being this entity 
Now, you know, as one of my last questions, I wanted to touch on the word. What I, what I see is more of another illusion of enlightenment, uh, this idea of enlightenment. And I just wrote about it recently, actually. I was going to say, I have to say, dude, I love your post on the shaman. And the yeah, this, I loved your post on that. That was beautiful. Yeah, I, I think it's like something along the lines, just for the listeners, something along the lines that the shaman recognizes that uh, people search for enlightenment. This is the same way they want the new car or the new house. It's uh, once I'll get it, I'll have some kind of superiority and any superiority to another being, you've missed the point. Um, and so I just wanted to know what your views are on, on this kind of little hunt that we're getting. It's like, like the kid that wants the prize from the cereal box, you know, he, would, he wants that prize. And when he gets it, he's like, well, that can't be it and throws it away. Maybe <laughs> it's in another cereal box, the one that I'll find, you know? And so we're constantly searching through cereal boxes to try and find this present. And when we get it, we always throw it away. Like, because it is here and now, right? So I wanted to know what your view is. I think you hit that on the head. That That is the most beautiful post, man. Like, I, I couldn't agree more. Like, one thing I've said a lot lately that I've heard myself saying a lot is spirituality is becoming the new religion, meaning superstitions. Why do the people in spirituality look down on the people in religion? And if you're honest with yourself, it's because they think not only do they know something more, but they feel it's nothing but superstitions. You're, you're, there's nothing there. And if you look at spirituality, well, what's become of that? There's nothing there. We're convincing ourselves we're this master with this grand thing. And like we said, you know, we know something nobody else does. We're ascended. We're so much beyond. And it's like, like you said, it's just that superiority, the new car. We are better than you. We have something better. We have something you don't. I think it's being turned into a form of religion, spirituality. And the more it kind of, is trending i think it's it is kind of starting kind of to get misinterpreted from meditation to everything i think everything's being turned into a slight misinterpretation kind of becoming religion and what do you think our antidote to that is It's a difficult question. I don't know if I'd be able to answer it either. Like it's, I don't know what ideas I would have at the top of my head for that. Like, because it seems to be productive, right? Like it, people, people doing yoga and meditation and like, well, even yeah, if they, they have are, the best intentions with the, the best, best intentions, intentions, it's kind of better mm -hmm. than, than hookers and cocaine, you know, it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, it's one step in the right direction, but then we're getting, we're getting caught up there as well. Like, I mean, for me, to be honest, the only answer that I see for our species uh, within the dream of, uh, within the illusion, if the survival of the species, I think is plants. It's like, it's, it's entheogens. It's, uh, that's what I see is, I don't think we have time to, to get 6 billion people to wake up to the self. Uh, I, I, yeah. That's only my personal view, but I think like we need, I, I think entheogens are, are, are an answer for us, not to force them on everybody, of course, but to, yeah. to, to help those that, that are in need. I would have to say what I, what I try to offer people is the psychedelic help, you know, the integration help <clears throat> and the Vipassana meditation, which is Buddha's form of meditation. To me, Vipassana meditation, which came from Buddha, to me is the purest form of meditation. 
um, it, it gets straight to the source. Basically, the same way psychedelics does is like the same point of Vipassana. And I'll kind of speak on both if that's all right. Yeah, please. But like, from my opinion, we're supposed to kind of eventually merge ourselves with the meditation, merge ourselves with the medicine so that we're not doing meditation. We're not doing medicine. You are the medicine. You are the meditation. And it's like when you come out of the medicine, when you come out of meditation, that's the moment you're back into the ego, back into the mind body. It's like, realize you're never, you're not coming out of anything. We're coming back to the mind body and just going back to the same habit. This is what I am. This is who I am. By saying these simple words, I'm back in the body. It's that's like if psychedelics isn't taking you to a place, then where are you going outside of this body? If you're not this mind body, it's showing you what's present even here and now. And so I think we can merge ourselves into the medicine, merge ourselves into meditation to where we don't come out. And I think that's people's biggest fear is, will I still be alive after? Will I still be here? And it's like, yes, you will. But who you think you are will not. (laughs) you know so it's kind of like a trade you have to experience what we call death because in honesty death doesn't exist because who we think we are is a thought that's why death cannot exist because what we are is all thought based so it's like to experience death and leave yourself behind is to let those thoughts dissolve and you'll you will realize in that moment all these pieces you put together of yourself have dissolved but you're still here And it's like, that's where you meet yourself, the absent of thought, the absent of doing, the absent of having to return to meditation or this or that. It's just remaining always as meditation. And that's why I love Buddha's story, because he would say, you know, if I'm sitting down, standing up, I'm speaking to people, I'm silent, asleep, awake, he's always in meditation. He didn't come out of meditation. And that's why he had such a radiance, because he was a walking self-reflection just like Ramana Mahashi he reflected the self so purely because he never came out of meditation and it's like if you tell that to again the Americans we don't dare to do that and I don't mean to be stereotypical but we're consumers we don't dare to not do where our drug is to do and I would say it's a drug we're addicted to it we're addicted to doing which causes suffering deep suffering in, in your it kind mind. of goes into the creating, yeah. creating the reality, goes into that. In, in your life, practically, how are you, are you regularly meditating? Are you meditative generally? Just you sat on the bus, you're meditating, you're, you're, how, does it, how does it practically apply? And what do you, um, when you're doing your coaching and things, how, how do you kind of ask them to apply it in their lives? So what I would say is, because people, the, the first question most people have is, how do I begin meditating? How do I start meditating? How should I start? And I tell them, do, don't assign a beginning to it. Don't assign a beginning to, to, to it, because then you have to assign an ending to it. That is not the point, to come out of the meditation, right? You're supposed to merge into it. So if there's a beginning, there's an end. Don't start meditation, become meditation. That's what I would say. And all that means really is 
again, like when we're in psychedelics, we're nothing but a pair of eyes that's constantly moving from place to place, shape to shape, this to that. And it's like, to me, meditation is remaining as that pair of eyes, no matter where I go, I can go to my work, I can be home, I can talk to my mother, you know, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. All me being in meditation means is I'm grounded in that awareness. So my mind can create all these thoughts, questions, concerns throughout the day, but I don't identify them because with them because I am in my meditation. And meditation is just your beingness. I'm always in that beingness. I'm grounded as that presence, those pair of eyes. So it's just like psychedelics. We can travel through all these shapes and places and they can change endlessly, but you remain untouched. You remain undisturbed. And it's kind of like matching that here. Go to your car, go to work, go to places and don't view them as places. Be that pair of eyes, that presence that is simply there observing and don't identify with the thoughts that come because that's where we start suffering. We get, you know, jealousy, anger, resentment, all these thoughts and emotion. And it's like, just remain in that meditation. And that's what I like about not escaping the world. It's easy to, to go into the mountains, to go into a forest and be alone. And the, the true test of meditation is at your work, is at these places where you can be taken out of your meditation. You know, a, a customer can tell me to screw myself or something and that can trigger my mind. And if I want to identify myself with that mind that's triggered, I'll say something to him. And when I say something to him, I'll, I will be taken from my meditation because I'm no longer in the beingness. I'm in the mind of the doer. So I have to defend myself to this guy. He has now taken me from my meditation. So it's like meditation actually begins in the world, in your life, in workplaces. That's where you're truly tested. It's easy to sit in a room. It's easy to be alone and, and you're not being tested. That's my opinion. That's beautiful, man. And, and you know, it's so heartwarming as well to hear like, and you're, you're courageous to do it. In, in a kind of normal job when you're kind of thinking on these kind of levels of planes of consciousness, I find that quite difficult. You work in retail, I work in hospitality. And there were some years when this began for me where I was like, what the hell am I doing? I can't be around these people. These people, I actually was running a pub at the time and I was a non-drinker. And I was like, I can't be here anymore. I can't do this anymore. But eventually I came to see it as my practice because it, it, it showed wow. to me you know, I wasn't looking down on people anyway, but it showed to me a level of levels of ignorance and, and how in human behavior, because I was constantly around human behavior. Now I still have love for those humans. I could see, just see where they're trapped, you know, and I worked around yeah. a lot of very rich individuals that would kind of click the fingers at my waitresses, the staff and stuff. And, <laughs> and it's like, ah, I can see now. And the mushroom once told me, he said, Ryan, it said, Ryan, it doesn't matter if you're the bin man or the billionaire, if your mind is not free, then, you know, it's, you, you haven't, you haven't freed your mind. It's, it doesn't yeah. matter if you're the billionaire or the bin man. And I have, I've lived both uh, lives. Uh, I've been around very rich people and very poor people. And you can see that everybody, all, me included, is trapped in our little pocket of, of some kind of karma. And, uh, and money doesn't solve it. Uh, and so you could, it was the whole practice for me became an observation of people and where they were at and where they may be stuck. Where am I stuck uh, in that? So it's beautiful to hear that you also did that. 
Yeah, like you said, brother, it's it is it's truly a test. Like in retail, you know, I can get you know I get customers walking up to me my entire shift. You know, new customers, new concerns, new attitudes, new everything, new approaches. So, I mean, I get disrespected all day long my whole shift. So the test is truly there, and I laugh at myself sometimes and say like, "You were so clever to pick this, you know, this this role, you know, because <laughs> I'm truly I'm truly tested at work. I'm not. That's why I'm not going to sit here and lie and say I'm grounded all the time. I'm taken from my meditation. I'm taken from myself plenty of times, but that's what I love about this, this process is the test, seeing yourself progress, you know, because what, what once took me from my meditation will soon be what grounds me. It'll be, you know, it won't be a problem. It's just, I, I just love seeing self-progression, self-growth, and like what better place to do that than in the world, in the, <laughs> That's the courageous, place of suffering. Man. It's courageous, like, and it's so, you know, I have a lot of respect for you, man, that you've done that. And I feel a lot of empathy for it too, because I know what it is to, to do that. Like, it's, I know what it is to operate at a certain level of uh, awareness. Um, I know what it is to be degraded, and I know what it is to see other people be degraded in, in a kind of, in our societies that not everybody is awake to certain aspects of love and, and compassion. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lot of teaching to be had there. But, but then I also feel like when I'm listening to you speak, I'm feeling like, why is this guy still there? Like, uh, why have we not got like a book? Why is he not like going speaking on stages to people? And that's what I get when I see your videos too. It's like, you have a lot to say. I had some people reach out to me directly saying, you know, you're speaking to Tyler. You know, I watch his stuff. Um, you know, it's really, really awesome. You guys are going to be speaking. And so it's like, somebody like you is um, you become a conduit for the self, you know, like there's certain people become a conduit for the self and have a role. We become conduits and how do you let the self express through this form? And, and you're doing that. It's, it's how do you kind of monetize it? Or would you even want to be separate from that? Do you, do you wish, do you enjoy the retail side of things? No, my, my real goal is to, you know, speak one day and, you know, do what I love, which is helping people with this knowledge or with this understanding. But, you know, what's, what's kept me from pursuing it up to this point, I would say is, uh, having 12,000 followers that follow me and believe in me, but not believing in myself. That's what I would probably say. That's my struggle. That's what's kept me from actually pursuing speaking, you know, cause I can be told by thousands of people, I speak great. I speak awesome and that, you know, but I guess I've been my worst enemy at that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, you know, we won't, uh, I won't hold you too much, too much longer, but you know, what, what happened when, when I first awoke to this about three years ago, it was, it was quite a, a fracture. It was a complete death rebirth. Uh, for about a couple of years, I went very quiet. I only had three friends. I deleted my Facebook completely. It was going inward. And only in the past like six to eight months, I've decided to say fuck it and come outward. And the only reason is because of COVID. You know, the only reason I actually come out and spoke to anybody, the only person I was speaking to is my wife and she didn't understand anything that I was saying. And my family didn't understand anything I was saying. Uh, nobody understood. And I felt very, very isolated and lonely. Only coming out now because I thought, well, if it's the end of the fucking world, then if, if COVID's the end, then who cares? You know, I, I risk a lot professionally and, and uh, I risk, I risk a, a good paid job. And there's, there's all kinds of risks you take coming out talking about entheogens. 
And so yeah. I guess it's when it's time, it's time, you know, but I, I just, I think, you know, a lot of people that follow, you know, you have a huge amount to offer. There's the profound things that I read in your work. I just think just mind bending stuff, stuff I have to read two or three times. I'm like, yeah, okay. And getting it, getting it. It's um, just some amazing stuff you write. And I want to thank you for this conversation. I want to thank you for being so humble. Um, and thank you for being so honest and authentic in this discussion. I hope one day you can come to uh, Indonesia, to Asia, and I'll show you around. Uh, I'd love that, man. That would be awesome. That would truly be awesome. Have you ever thought you. about it? Or? Thank you for being so humble, bro. You're, you're truly humble too. And I, I love your statuses. I can, I can say like you, you just, you understand, you, you truly understand. Like you said, like I've met very few people that just understand me understand this like I felt very isolated too in the sense like how you said and I don't know I can see like you're you're very, very much aware and I love your humbleness I love your humility like that last status you shared brother it was beautiful truly beautiful thank you ma'am and mm -hmm. uh you know have you, have you thought about coming to Asia or honestly I'm terrified of planes but maybe one day we'll get past that <laughs> 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 yeah dude like well, i hope it'd be the first point of call i'll show you around thailand so um i think you'd love it uh, india nepal it's um it's 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 the homeland it's, it's where this stuff comes from right so um yeah, i'm, I'm awesome. planning a trip to india next year so maybe maybe one day you can get over yeah that would be amazing i i still would love to visit that place too one day all right, my friend. Well, well, we'll keep in touch. If people want to find out more about you, um, where can they where can they go? Um, just my Facebook page is really all I use for now. Tyler Ugaldi. Tyler Ugaldi, right? You have a, like a, a fan page there, and then and then your Facebook. But I uh, will keep in touch, man. And uh, I think I think we'll talk again. Oh, definitely, bro. Most definitely. I'm glad to have finally gotten to speak with you. This, this has been profound. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed, right, enjoyed speaking with you. Well, a lot of love for you, man. And take care. You too. Thank you, brother. Cheers. Mm -hmm.